I am Heather Hetheru Miller. I am a personal change coach and an executive director of a community-based organization that focuses on working with boys to help them become leaders. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. And I am a, a mother of five. I'm married and I enjoy this journey of life that I am on. This has been such a tremendous journey and it's so rich in lessons and people and experiences that it prompted me to become a personal change coach. So it's a, a number of nuances in my background that allowed me to see myself in different spaces and during that process, being able to see others and looking at my ultimate goal, what was my purpose? That was all child to know what my purpose was. And, you know, as you have more life experiences and you learn and you grow more, you have an opportunity to see yourself and then to find that place, especially if you're seeking it. And so, uh, again, it started early for me. All right. Perfect. All right. Heather, you're going to help me understand this. Uh, a bit about your background, because as you see written here, everyone has a story to tell. We are really passionate about that, that there are stories behind where we are, where we are coming from. So tell me a bit about you. Did you grow up in Michigan or did you grow up in another place and you came to Michigan? I was uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. I've lived in other places uh, around the, the country. Um, I've lived in Florida, I've lived in Georgia, I've lived in Tennessee, but it, I always came back to Michigan because my family was based here. And that that's part of my journey. That's a part of my life lesson is understanding how important family really is and then to see how it impacts our community. And so my background uh, became a part of that process. So my background, I work in, I've worked in five different uh, areas of development. I've worked in community development. I've worked in organizational development. I've worked in economic development. I've worked in workforce development and I've worked in personal development. So in all of those, all of the, the, the themes that run through each one of those is the importance of family. Workforce development is the, uh, the process of finding employment that gives you a life skill so that you can make a living wage to take care of yourself and your family. Community development is the position that you hold within your community and what you bring to that community as a family to impact that community. Economic development is much the same. What type of contributions are we making as a unit to our own personal economy and the larger economy? Um, um, Personal development is how you develop as a person to contribute to your hands. And I started to understand it. It uh, transformed me and it uh, helped my purpose to emerge. Thank you so much for that. Uh, that is a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, if, there, if there is anything we we'll talk about you personally as you were growing up in Detroit, is there anything you remember as a young adolescent uh, in your time? Help us to understand that. Take us back. So I would say that my first, um, my first position of advocacy was uh, we went through a period in the city where uh, we were told that we had a particular um, parasite that was in the trees. And so they started to cut all of the trees down. And in my community, they cut all of the trees down. We had beautiful tree-lined streets so that each season, you know, in the winter, spring, summer, and fall, the trees transform with the people. And so we had a, a, a huge tree in front of our house that we shared with a neighbor. And I watched them uh, come down. So the way that our, our city is, our, our block or our community is, is set up is that that we, it's like four blocks in between two major streets. And so I watched them come down block by block, tearing down trees, and it just broke my heart to see them do that. 
And when they got to our our tree, I tried to, I started at the corner and I was, you know, I was fussing at the the people who were coming to tear down the trees. And I kept fussing and fussing till they got to my house. And um, I wrapped myself around the tree and I wouldn't move. And of course, they can't put their hands on you. So, you know, they were trying to get my parents to um, have me move out of the way so they could cut down the tree. And my parents supported me and they said, you know, she's not going to move, then you can't cut down the tree. And so I was really, uh, really grateful that they supported me. But it was the first time I took a stand. Like I learned, I grew up, you don't talk, you don't talk back against adults. You don't, you know, you don't go against what they ask you to do. And I, I felt so strongly about standing my ground about even just this one tree, if I could save just one tree, then maybe, you know, it, it would make a difference. And that other people might see it and other people might join and other people might might have a, an opinion. And so what they told us was that we're going to tear down these trees, but they're going to come back and plant new trees. And I, I didn't believe them. I didn't trust what they said. And actually, it took some years for them to actually keep that promise. So but so I was around 12 years old when this happened. And so um by taking a stand, it, it ignited something in me that one person can make a difference. And so they, they did not tear down the, they did not cut down the tree. Um, the tree lasted until I was an adult. And then just, just by nature of, uh, the age of the tree, um, the tree was then cut down in a safe way and in place, my family planted two trees. Um, and so, it, it helped me to also understand that every year I plant a tree. I try to plant more, but at least I'm committed to planting one tree a year. And so those kinds of things meant something to me. And it ignited something in me, a principle in me, that if if there is a difference to be made, I am the one to make that difference. That is so powerful. Man, at 12 years of age, you had that kind of, that kind of boldness to be able to stand up and you saved a tree. Where did that come from? What gave you the conviction and the, the impetus to do that? You know, I guess I've always had that feeling of uh, I don't like bullies. <laughs> I don't like bullies. And I always felt like I had to protect. I had to protect someone who was not whose voice was not as strong or maybe who was not as strong to stand up against a bully. And so that's another I guess that's another uh belief that I had. I, I'm a middle child of seven. And so, you know, you have older siblings and then you have younger siblings and I'm in the middle. And sometimes there, you know, was rivalry between the older kids in my family and the younger kids. So if I couldn't, if I couldn't mediate, um, I would have to try to resolve it. <laughs> I love that. All right. Now you were talking before, you said you are uh, a coach yeah, of change or something like that. Is that correct? A personal change coach. A personal change coach. All right. That is the correct way to say it. Now, what do you mean by that? So now, and kind of much of the same uh, spirit that I grew up holding within me and all of those experiences, I've worked with individuals. And as I mentioned before, I believe that the restoration of family is so important to an individual and so important to our family. And so as a personal change coach, uh, I work with individuals um, and whatever goal they have set for themselves, maybe it's a goal of a book or business or reconciling a relationship or preparing for a new relationship or um, what, what happened is I got training um, in a number of areas around personal development. I wasn't sure how that was going to translate uh, once I finished with the training. And because I have uh, established a reputation, a lot of people come to me for advice or how to set up a plan or how to, whatever their how to might be, how to change a behavior or a habit, how to change a relationship, how to prepare for a business. And because I have experience in all these areas, people kept coming to me up for uh, strategies on how to, to do it better. And so people also looked at my story and my life and how I make changes. And so I became a personal change coach to help people 
change those personal things that uh, you may, it's not something that you want to make public or, or bring to other people's attention, but it's something that you may want to change yourself. And so I work with people in those areas, something that they want to accomplish, if it's a goal that they want to accomplish or a behavior that they want to overcome. And, um, and so that's how, how I help people the most. And so that's what we do as a personal change coach. I, um, I also work with corporations to do their, their training of their employees. So I help with uh, team building training, helping people get along so that they can do the work better. And in that environment, I help people see how that concept of family fits into the workplace. Because you spend so much time with the people you work with that it's almost as much time as you spend with the family that you're connected to. So you have to find your common ground in that space outside of just the work you do together. But you have to be able to uh, recognize uh, some of the, the nuances that people have I want to see good out the word, uh, one word there from your explanation, which I find to be very important, both um, personally as a person and within the demography that we are concentrating on, which is the African diaspora. Yes. And the term or the word is uh, family. I think it is uh, it's essential. It is very important. Now, how do you describe a family? What does it mean? How important is it really supposed to mean to us as a people? That's such a great question. Thank you for asking. Family, family is uh, the center of a culture, the center of a belief, the center of common ground. And so broadly, that's what a family is. We have uh, various dimensions of that family. We have the traditional family with the mother, father, children. We have uh, an, our extended family, which may include grandparents or aunts or cousins. And we experience all of these different units of family when it's a biological family. There's another layer of family that then those who are grafted into that family unit that share the ideas, the values, the culture, and have that common ground. Most of the time, the common ground is that you live together and that those values in the core of who you become is one based on your bloodline. And because of that, there are certain elements that you share that's passed through your DNA. So things that you had no control over that came through your parents, both your mother and your father, and then their parents, and then their parents. So that bloodline passes down certain character traits, certain experiences, certain amounts of your legacy come through your bloodline. So that's the first level of family. And why that's important is because there, there are some things that, that we may not know about ourselves because it's something that's been passed down as opposed to something that we developed or we believed or, but it gives us some building blocks for our own character. It gives us some building blocks for who we are and who we are to become. That is the essence and the essential connection of family. We begin to build a culture around that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I believe that the work that you are doing uh, is very important in this area because now um, you are helping you, you are building youth who will become the leaders of tomorrow. Yes. And this is uh, very, very important. And of course, we can see that, that you didn't just jump into it. From the age of 12, you have been speaking out. You have been taking your, your stand. So you know exactly what you are doing. And this is very important for me. Um, now, it, it, when we exchanged a few lines of thought before we started to record, you didn't make mention of the term ready. And of course, I'm taking you to a different angle of the, of the conversation now. Mm -hmm. Ready uh, women. And because of the demography that we are looking into, which is the African diaspora, I want to see what that means to you. How do you uncover that term? And what might it mean in the African diaspora, for example? So a ready woman or ready women are those women first who believe that they're ready to lead, produce, 
and secure or anchor a family. That's her mindset. Now, my challenge is that as a ready woman, what things, what beliefs you have, what are you bringing to that family unit? And so if you are a woman who maybe, and this is in my case as well, a divorced woman, it could be a um, young woman, like a, uh, I'm saying young in age between 18 and 24, and you say that you're ready for marriage, you're ready for this or you're ready for that, I think it's really important that you really have a framework, not just a feeling. And a lot of a lot of us most times base our idea of ready for something on a feeling. Like I feel this, but never explore what those feelings really mean, where they lead and where they're coming from. And so I, I think that's an important element of being a ready woman. And then understanding kind of what that journey ahead is going to look like. Where are you flexible? Where are you inflexible? What will you do versus what you don't want to do or are expected to do that you don't want to do? And so we get into relationships and and I use myself as this model because I've been married three times. So as a young woman, so that first demographic I mentioned between 18 and 24, I was in that group and I felt that I was ready because I had dated somebody for three years. And so, and at, at some point in that three, that three years, we lived together, we moved in together. And my position with him was, I am not going to go any further with you without being married to you. And what, and while my, my values held me to that standard, he wasn't really ready to get married. And I more or less forced him into it. I forced him into a decision. Either we're going to get married or I'm going to move on. And so we ended up getting married. That's not the best way to make a decision or to be a ready woman, forcing somebody's hand so that they maintain a relationship with you. I was, I was just a young, I was a young woman. I knew that I knew that it was the right thing to get married and not just live with someone. What I didn't really, he, we use the term love a lot. I love you, but I, he said, I'm not ready to get married. And I said, okay. So I, I, at one point we did break up and he came back and said, okay, let's get married. So rather than be without me, he would rather be married. And so of course we ended up in divorce a few years later because he really wasn't ready. So I got married. So it was some time where I took time to look at my decisions and my choices and cultivate myself, learn more about me, who I was. Um, I had, uh, you know, a, a journey during that time. And then from there, and it was probably uh, 15 years between my next marriage. I had relationships in between then. I was engaged once in between then. But we ultimately did not get married. And so, again, my ready woman status changed based on experiences, changed based on dating and understanding more of what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, And then what I was willing to accept or extend in that process. And again, um, as a ready woman, you recognize that there's two people in this relationship. When I was younger, it wasn't about him. It was about me. When I was kind of in that a midsection, I realized that it was about the two people and two people had to be willing to come together. So in my second marriage, we were both willing to come together. However, we had some differences that weren't um, that didn't show up at the beginning of our relationship. He um, he had some different ideas about we had a business together. So we had some different ideas about running a business. I had more experience than he had in running a business. But he wanted to be the decision maker. And he wanted me to go along with whatever he said. 
And so, and at ultimately in that relationship, he told me I had to choose between either being married to him or being in business with him. And so being kind of forced to make that choice, I said, okay, well, I'll be married. But even in that position, he still wanted me to work in the business, just have no opinion or no voice. And as you know, from the age of 12, I always had a voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that voice is going to come out. <laughs> it, it's, it's going to. It's going to. But it was for the it was for the best interests of us both. And I'm more experienced and you're not. So that became a that became a challenge. It was like so we started to lose money. Uh, you know, it was some other dynamics that happened because I mean to work without an opinion or without a voice. And so ultimately our marriage dissolved and we had a son out of that marriage. And so after that point, uh, and, and both of us were uh, older, um, uh, this is a significant age for me when I actually had my son, I was at, I was 40 having a son. And so that was significant to me. And he was 13 years older than me. So having a newborn and the path that we were moving was really interesting. It was really interesting. <laughs> so um, just kind of the, those dynamics, a ready woman, this next stage of ready woman. So now I have on my on my ready woman, woman status, two marriages, two previous marriages, a child and uh, a new mindset about who I am because now I have age and experience and relationships and business and all these different dynamics that help me to find more about myself. And so when I moved into my third marriage where um, he came into the marriage with children, I came into the marriage with children. So another level of being ready. So are you ready to have a blended family? And of course, you know, at the core for me is family. So how do you then blend families together for another level of a ready woman? Are you ready to now have uh, a blended family, to have more children, to have uh, some of the concerns that come with uh, both both uh, husband and wife having ex-spouses who are uh, impacting decisions and things like that with your children. That's a whole nother level of maturity and readiness. You know, we're both adults, we're both seasoned adults who've had all of this life experience and then how do you bring it together? And for me, and this third uh, aspect of my uh, marriage relationship, the one essential area that I did not have in my first marriage or my second marriage strongly is that, and this is the honest to goodness truth that I put God in my relationship and not in the Bible on my mantle. It was the first, so during the, the between my, uh, my second marriage and my third marriage, my, my spiritual life just took off. And I started to see God as a part of my life every part of my life and not just a, a, a figment that stayed uh, in church on Sunday or that was in the Bible itself and that you kept this precious thing on a shelf. I started to incorporate God into my life, into my everyday conversations, ideas, and building that relationship first helped me to build a relationship with my husband, helped me to build the relationship with the blended family and all the different things that we would go into or experience. So we have uh, businesses together. We do projects together. All the things, all the elements of my previous marriages. But this time, I put God at the center and not on the sideline. And so it helped so much to resolve a lot of the challenges that we have that may be challenged in other relationships that may make or break you in a relationship. I don't have to do it alone. And so, and this is, this is my secret sauce. Are you ready? <laughs> my secret sauce is 
I say uh, when I this is my prayer when something comes up that I I feel emotionally connected to or charged about I say God get your boy show me my stuff and it's resolved because he has the same relationship with God he goes to God for guidance and support and so when you're going to the same source for answers that source speaks to both of you not just one of you and so that's how we resolve a lot of our issues and we resolve them relatively quickly where before you know you might pout for a day or two or be resentful i don't have that anymore i don't carry that weight and so i thought i was ready and as a young woman i thought i was ready in my second marriage but what i didn't know i didn't know that i didn't know until I got into my third marriage. I didn't know until I started to build a broader relationship in my in my faith and my spiritual life that that makes the difference in my marriage. It makes a difference in my marriage every day. It makes a difference in my life every day because I have a source to go to that I know is higher than me, can see more than I can, understand more than I can, and I can be still and be silent. And I don't I do what I can on my end. And I apologize quickly. I mean, that's that, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so that made me a ready woman because I was ready to not do it by myself. I wasn't ready. I didn't have to have all the answers. I didn't have to carry all the weight. I had a place to go to put some of that, that um, those things that come with building relationship and getting to know someone in a, in a more honest and authentic way. And that's the, the marriage that I have right now. Thank you for that sharing, and thank you. I really appreciate that. Now, when you talk to maybe a younger person, anyway, before I get there, I just wanted to point out that it is important that uh, when we can, we need to make experience so that when we talk to people, we talk to them based on our experience. Of course, yes, I know that there are uh, in life we don't learn only through our experiences; we also learn through the experiences of others. Yeah, because sometimes it can be complex or complicated. But it is good that when we can, we should make experience so that when we talk, we talk based on experience. Now, if you talk to somebody about marriage, about relationship, it's because you have had experience. You understand what you're talking about. That is really very important. I just want to point that out. Yes. Now, when you talk to uh, a young woman today who want to get into a relationship, I maybe mean, within the context of be ready. Tell me what you want to tell her. And, and that's so interesting because I have uh, I have clients now who uh, are in long term relationships, and we go through a process of, of talking about what ready means for her. So we start off by understanding who she is, um, and asking her because you know a lot of us have some insecurities about things. We also have some. Uh, missed information about things. And sometimes when you're younger, you have a lot of missed information, right? A lot of it based on emotion. And so one of the the, uh, conversations that we have is trying to unravel the emotion from the action. And so it's one of the skills that I help them to develop. And so a lot of that also comes in our backstory. And so I call this the meridian path. Where are the the times in your life where you made these decisions and what influenced those decisions. It's easier to go back and look at those things than it is to talk about what you do right now. And so when you go back and look at those things that have been uh, barriers or uh, roadblocks or uh, trauma in your past history, it's easier to see what's happened behind you than it is to see what's in front of you. And so we use those experiences, her own experience, And we kind of unravel those experiences. What impacted the decision? Was it a value that you developed in your household? Uh, Was it something that you've seen on TV? What impacted you? And so once you have an idea of what that is, you kind of have a a first step foundation to build from. So, and it helps you to find out where your values are based. So if you get a lot of things a lot of ideas, a lot of ways that you respond based on something that you've seen in a movie or on media as opposed to something that's a lived experience, that's important for you to know because that means that even as an adult, 
those things are going to likely impact you now. So, and social media being what it is, you know, you can become and be anything on social media. It doesn't have to be true. But people see that story and they say, oh, so-and-so is like this or so-and-so is doing this. And they start to base their choices. But a lot of that comes from your past history because you based a lot of things on what you saw on TV growing up. And so that became your value, not necessarily what happened in your household. Or it could have been an influence in your household or it could have been a trauma in your household that made you more passive than having a voice to speak up. So the first thing for her is that she understand her backstory, where those things are coming from. Of course, there are a series of things that come out of that. But that's the first that's the first thing that we do is kind of journey in that space. Thank you for that. that and that is very important. That is an important uh, all right. Now, in a relationship, when you talk about relationship, but of course, you are bringing uh, two different people together or they are bringing themselves together in, in to uh, embark on a journey because it's a journey. It's not uh, a one day event. Just let's yes. go and have a pizza or have fun. That is the end of it. No, it's a journey. It is. Um, in this journey, it's usually full of ups and downs. It's not always up. It's not always down. It's just up and down in most of the cases. What role does trust have to play there to make it work? Trust is really important. And it's most people give you a a measure of trust when you go into a relationship. But it's almost like just the tip of the iceberg of trust that you get. The rest of it is past experience. Everything that's underwater that you don't see is the past experience, is their ideas and values, is all of these other things that you don't get to see. So trust seems like you may have somebody's trust, but ultimately you're only seeing a a very small portion of that. And as you begin to build relationships, that trust, that water kind of recedes a little bit more. And the more that you develop in time, the more that you develop in experiences and and lived experiences, things that you share together, you build that trust. And so it, it kind of takes that you start to see more and people start to reveal more about themselves and why they trust or don't trust. And so it's it's a it's a bigger picture. So when you start getting into some deeper issues and, and, and one of the ones that we always stumble upon um, is some level of, of trauma or early exposure to sex or sexual activity. And because of that early exposure at, you know, at younger ages, it, it impacts your trust. And so for women, it may in- impact her trust for men. For men, it may impact their trust for women. And so it's, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And more and more people are coming to, um, uh, coming to the surface with a lot of that type of trauma and how it's affecting their relationships with others and their relationships with themselves. Because if it's not addressed and it goes unhealed, it's going to continue to affect you in relationships and affect your life. And now when that trust is broken, because sometimes it is broken, um, how uh, is it possible to mend it? And how does um, this broken trust affect our um, our readiness uh, into a relationship? Of course, in this case, we are looking at a woman that is ready or women that are ready. How does maybe a woman that have suffered a broken trust how does that affect her being ready for a new relationship? So it's really important for her to identify where the trust was broken and what was broken and separate the trust that was broken from the person. And sometimes you associate that broken trust with a role. So if the bro- the trust was broken, it was a uncle or if it was a neighbor, then you look at uncles and neighbors in this way. So it, it kind of uh, it kind of goes along and it may even go along with gender. So you may not really have the trust for males because you think that all males may have this aspect or element of the, however the trust was broken. Even in relationships, uh, cheating is, a, is another way that trust is broken. And so being able to overcome starts with first identifying your feelings about that broken trust. What was at the core of it? 
So, and I'm going to tell you that there are really five things. We have these things I call strongholds, these aspects of ourselves that hold us back from making decisions or hold us to a certain, uh, only allows us to give a certain amount of ourselves to a relationship. And so, and the trust also is connected to that. So the strongholds are rejection, abandonment, distraction, control, and pride. That those things that hold us back in relationships tend to be based on one of those five elements. So if you feel like um, you've been rejected somewhere in your past, then you may have that uh, idea that somebody is going to reject you. They're not going to um, make you really feel like you are a part of them and they're a part of you. That can affect trust as well. And so being able to overcome to be a ready woman is to recognize that these are things that hold us back to identify where they are in your life, to address them at their core so that you can move forward in trust and you can overcome your own obstacles because those become our own obstacles. It's not what somebody else does. It's what we think in our minds and we can't separate those experiences from the person and the person that is in our life as well. Because you think, oh, well, you're going to leave me too. If you had a relationship or a situation and it could have been just, you know, somebody in your life that was meaningful to you passed away. You felt abandoned because they were the only person that gave you this type of feeling or security or safety. That could be an issue in your adult years. So if you don't know that, you can't overcome that. So you have to go back and try to find where that trust was broken, where you feel abandoned or felt abandoned or were abandoned. So that you can address that so that you don't feel that in your relationship because it's going to hold you back because you're going to always have at the back of your head that somebody's going to leave me. If that's one of your strongholds. Stronghold. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, um, your client, you are a a coach now, no? Yes. Uh, Your client, what kind of thing do they complain to you within this area of... um, of be ready or relationship in general as it were. Mm-hmm. What are their worries? So some of the worries are that I'm I'm getting older. I'm not dating anybody. I'm not seeing anybody. Is there really somebody for me, or is there somebody that would be interested in me? Why or why not? Um, I have clients that are asking. Where is my husband? I did all the things I'm supposed to do. I I went to school. I got a job. I got my own house. Where's my husband? And those are the questions that they're asking. They say, I'm ready. Where is he? And so, and it's, um, that's, (laughs) that comes up quite a bit. Um, Some other questions are about people who are already married. Uh, Why aren't we getting along? Why is he different? Um, what's happening in my relationship, what's happening with me. And some of it is just change the changes of life that put you in a a position or not understanding who he is at his core, having different differing values that you never looked at before. So those questions that were never asked, I didn't even know he was like that. Or I didn't know I was like that. I didn't know this was an issue for me. Well, the, the areas that we didn't explore. The, the areas that we, you know, because of the trust, we only showed a little bit of ourselves. So they're thinking that we're one person and we never share with them the other things that are under the surface that they, that that person never saw. And so now as you're with someone longer and those were in that relationship, some of those things start to surface. It's a natural part of you, but it's something that he doesn't like that's causing conflict. What do you do about that? So these are just some of the things that come up with, um, uh, With relationships, trust is a huge one. Uh, Not having a sense of trust in the relationships, in existing relationships, is also an area that comes up. I think we are going to make mention of trust a number of times any time that we are talking about relationship because, yeah, it's a magic word out there. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Mm, As a coach, what do you think really makes relationship work? The things that make relationship work, I I have to say my biggest lesson 
was one, to be able to have a source to go to. So for me, my source is God. I go to God first. Um, I have established what my values are. One of the big, big issues I think that we don't and have not established in relationships is really what love is. So being able to have some guidelines and I always tell people to start at first Corinthians <laughs> chapter 13, start there. And it's the, the, you know, the, the, it's a popular scripture that says love what love is. So, um, I think that's a great place to start and go through it and look at it as a checklist. Love is patient. Love is kind. It talks about what it is and it also talks about what it isn't. So I think it's important just as a baseline, I tell people to start here and look at it as a checklist. How do you weigh on this checklist? And you can do it on a scale of one to five, which I encourage people to do. Are you patient? Okay. On a scale of one to five, what is your level of patience? What on a scale of one to five, what is your level of kindness? How do you consider kindness? Because those two things are key to relationship. And I'm, I'm so glad that that kind of, kind of sets the tone as it starts off. And then it, it tells you, if you don't have these things, then you're just talking, you're just making noise. So I love that about that first, uh, that uh, first Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, it kind of helps you set an agenda. If you don't have an idea, we talk a lot. We talk about love. We talk about how I feel. I feel so safe when I'm with somebody, or I feel like they're this. And three down, three years down the line, you're like, I don't feel like I can trust them. Like, how did it go from this at the beginning to this just three years later? What happened? Because it was all based on your feelings. It wasn't based on on substance. It wasn't based on what you share together, what you build together. It's not just feelings that make up love. There's love as an action. And so how do what actions have we taken in our relationship to come together, to build together together? Can you use that? I mean, those are things that you should establish before you make that deep of a commitment. And so another thing, um, another way, I have a book called uh, The Survey. And it's some questions that when you get into a relationship with someone, and these are some of the questions um, that people typically don't ask when you're uh, moving toward a more serious relationship. It's their, their deal breaker questions in there. And I think if you are, um, if you're really serious, then you and your, whoever your partner is should go through the process, take the time and go through the book. I went through the book with my, my uh, present husband. We went through the book together a couple of times and there were some very tough questions. There were some deal breaker questions in there. Um, and the ones that were deal breakers, we had to really determine, okay, can you really, can you really live up to this expectation? And this is my expectation. And can you live up to it? I think those questions are really important to ask because you need to know what your boundaries are and you need to know how to overcome those boundaries and a marriage relationship. So you can have the same boundaries as a single person. But when you become con come together in a marriage, you have to be able to overcome those boundaries, whatever those boundaries are. I want to pay attention to what you said before, which is the source because we are not perfect. When we get into a relationship, it's not because we are perfect that we that it works. It is not. It is because sometimes we are able to tolerate the other who is also not perfect. Yeah. So we have a kind of this imperfect contract that we have that, okay, this is what I would like to do. If it were me, this is what I would like to do. But that is if you were alone. Not that you are living with somebody, you are sharing your life with somebody you don't like to do that, but you do it because of that person. Yes. Is it what we call love? I think that's a, definitely a part of it. Um, I think it's, it's important to know the person, to watch the person, to listen to the person, to understand what they need, to have that conversation and to understand that it's going to change. We, we don't stay the same from day to day and month to month and year to year. But are you flexible? Are you willing to be open? Are you able to embrace that change? And some of us, we don't like change. I need to have this strict routine. 
I need to be this way and I need to be regimented this way and these things. And when you do this, it throws me off. And that is part of blending of a family. There are things that, and they're, they're, and it's funny that, you know, my, my parents were married for almost 50, 55 years uh, before my, my father passed away before, like a, just a few days before their uh, 55th anniversary. And people would say, you know, because they had been together so long, you already knew, he knew what she would say about certain things. He knew what she would say about certain things. And so you start to know somebody well enough that you can speak for them. My, I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink wine. I don't drink. So my husband is not going to put me in a situation to drink. That's the first thing he, she doesn't drink. So he's going to make sure that I don't even have to say anything because he knows I don't drink. I don't like to be in environments where people are smoking because I don't smoke and I don't like being in that environment. He's not going to put me in an environment that's unsafe for me. I don't have to fuss and fight and complain about it uh, and say that you don't understand me when you already know that. So and, and likewise for him, he likes he's a he's a very outgoing person. He's going to have a lot of people talk to him because he knows a lot of people. So I can't be insecure because women come up to him and, and know him or speak to him. And get mad because all these women are coming to speak to you. This is a part of who he is. And so I have to be secure. It's not his fault. That's a my issue. So we have to be able to recognize what our own issues are and address those issues. Again, it kind of goes back to the stronghold. If I have issues of insecurity, it's likely that somewhere in my life I felt abandoned that somebody was going to leave me. And so my insecurity about all these women speaking to you would be, oh, I, I think you're going to leave me and go with her. And so that's the root of my insecurity. So if I never addressed that, I would be insecure in that space. But because I have addressed that issue or those issues in my life, I don't have that as an issue. I see her and him the same. These are people that you know. These are people who respect you and they want to address you. They want to speak to you. They want to have a moment of your time. I'm, I'm great with that because it doesn't take away from me. He's also mindful that he's not going to give somebody a lot of time if we're together. And so he sees it differently because he sees it as a matter of respect for me, which I appreciate, but that's my issue to deal with. That's not his issue to deal with. And so recognizing that, like knowing who that person is, he is a public person. So I have to recognize that that is who he is. And that's, this is the person, this is the relationship I came into. And so, you know, and, and both of our, my, our past relationships, it was always an issue. That was one of the issues with my first husband because of the, the jobs and the way that I worked and the companies that I worked for had three different shifts. So that's a 24 hour shift. So my job, I had to be setting up training programs for all three shifts. So he would, feel suspicious when I would have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go set up a training class because that's the shift that had that training class. And so he was insecure thinking that, okay, are you really going to, and I would tell him, come with me. Why would you want me driving on the road that early? Come with me. And he would say, no, no, <laughs> you go ahead. So don't, don't feel suspicious when you don't really understand what's going on. But because of his insecurity, because he had an issue with abandonment early in his childhood because his mom passed away early, he has an issue with abandonment that he never dealt with. But this was my job. I couldn't help that my job had me working like that. So things like that, you have to know the person. You have to know that person and you have to be flexible. But you also have to know your issues and be able to address and grow in that. And you don't have to keep that from your mate that you're growing in that issue. Let them help you grow in that space. Thank you for that. Yes. All right. Now, let, let's talk about um, sometimes what can be uh, the result of a marriage when it doesn't work, mm. when it, it is separated. Yes. And now, where, if it is separated, the marriage that don't have children in it, where it's pretty okay. Okay. If... Um, if it's a person that is highly rich now, then there's a lot of money involved. Okay, you also need to settle for that. 
of course, that is pretty easier sometimes. Mm -hmm. You go to court, the court decide it. But I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in when there are children in it. Yes. That is the most important part of it. Because now you are responsible for life. And you are going to make sure that you prune that life to become good. Uh, it is not a small responsibility. If a man and a woman were together and they are bringing up this individual as their children, it's still going to be hard, but at least it's going to be easier because at least you are holding him or her in one hand, I'm holding him or her on the other hand. The, the child feels better no? than maybe the child is living away with the mother. Who is going to feed him or her with some time bad memory of the, of, the, of the father? Because there is no way as a mother who is separated, you're going to be telling your child, oh, your father was very good, he was lovely, he was the best man in the world. If that is the case, why are you not there? Why are you here? Why did you leave him alone right. you are here? So it is natural that this woman is going to feed the child with a lot of negative things about the father in most of the cases. And if the child also lives with the father, in most of the cases, it's also going to be like, because you're going to have to justify certain things. So this brings me to the question. How do you deal with co-parenting when the parents are separated and there are children in between. You know, and, and that is a very difficult space for a lot of people. With co-parenting, um, depending on the reasons why the, the parents broke up, it's going to impact uh, some of that process in uh, what happens with the child. It shouldn't, children deserve and need both parents. And it's it's if if the court is making the court order to tell the parents how they need to navigate the life of this child, you're already kind of at a uh, at a disadvantage because somebody else has to tell you how to negotiate the raising of your child together. So you want it to be a conversation that you both have together and understanding that. So, and some can impact our ability to work together, um, especially if it was a bitter, a very bitter breakup. What we have to do and remember is to put our children first. The child has to come before the difficulty with the parents. So, and again, if it has to be court mandated, then you need to make sure that you're following that, that prescription. If you're able to work together and have the best interest of the child, you have to know that that child needs both parents. And you have to do your part to keep that at the forefront of that commitment. Now, when it comes to uh, the contributions of what it takes to make sure that your child has a good quality of life. There's some things that you may do differently for the child, and that also depends on who has custody or if it's joint custody. And so each circumstance, whether it's joint custody or, uh, or sole custody, you have, to have, you have to be flexible and you have to keep with the best interest of that child first. And so we want to we want to make we want to make sure that um, that there is time equal time is best for that child equal time with mom and dad is best for that child um, but making sure that they have opportunity to not just engage with the parents but if they're grandparents or extended family that have been a part of that child's family you have to continue to graft those people into it too there are grandparents' rights as well as parental rights. And it is a legal, uh, uh, it's a legal component when that happens with our children. There are grandparents' rights. So there are grandparents that can sue for time with their grandchildren too. And so that's important to know that it's not just the parents that benefit, but the grandparents. And they, again, they can take you to court and sue for that grandparent time. At least in the state of Michigan, that's the grandparents, and I know grandparents who had to sue for time with their grandchildren in spite of what the parents were going through. So um, 
ready a ready woman handling um co-parenting is going to reflect for her who she is and who that man that's looking in to see if she's a ready woman ready for a relationship with him how she handles the relationship between the father and that child and how she handles the father and she is always talking negative about that father he's going to think okay she's going to always be negative talking to me that thought is going to linger in his mind as well how she deals with the the child especially a male child and how she deals with that child's father is also an indicator of how she's going to deal with you and so ready women have to keep that in mind that uh, and especially when we're dealing with really uh, hurt feelings of hurt, of course, for our strong, the purpose of our strongholds, we have to address those things because I'm sure a lot of it in a situation like that, which was what happened for me too, a lot of those strongholds surface. So pride, I can do this by myself. I don't need you. I can raise my child by myself. That's pride. Control, well, you can only see them when I say you can see them or where it's convenient for me. That's control. Uh, rejection, um, they, they are not in agreement with you about the turn for the child. So you're feeling rejected that he's not cooperating. You have distraction where, um, you keep, well, I'm too busy to take the child to see the dad or have him come up. He has to do it when it's convenient for me. You can get distracted by other things. You can continue to make excuses as well. And then lastly, you have this whole melting pot of all of these strongholds working over this particular situation that are still reflective of things that you have not addressed. So a ready woman is going to look at these things and then she's going to do some self-reflection and make sure, though, that she's still lifting up her child. And this co-parenting relationship, that means that we are working together to parent. That means we're both parents. That means all of decision making is not mine. All of the decision making is not his. We have to be able to give and take. And again, keeping what's in the best interest of that child at the forefront. Thank you for that. I wish people can listen to that. Um, I can really take to heart what you have said, because that is the root cause of a lot of the problem that we have in the society today, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're talking of the U.S. or U.K. or in many other parts of the world, because first, the, the, the family, you know, you spend a lot of time talking about the family at the beginning of the conversation, uh, because that is very important, like I said then, and also for our community, the African diaspora community. But of course, now we know, any person who have a half brain know that the family is broken. And the children are the, are the one that suffers more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this aggression is transferred to them. So it is not surprising where these children go to end in most of the cases, no? Because we have not been able to protect the family. Because the family is a nucleus of the society. Yes. If we destroy this, the family, we destroy the society also. And of course, we are having problems to manage. Everything is managed now. We are just managing, managing, managing. Because... We have taken away the value, the sacredness of what used to be the family. And there are consequences for that. Yes. Anyway, I don't want to even go more about that. but <laughs> It is true. Now, it is true. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, uh, I, want to, I want you to tell me, how can people reach you, those who want to work with you? Uh, I don't know, maybe for coaching or advice or to buy your book or things like that. Share with them. How can they reach you? Well, you can always visit my website at www.yourinspiredjourney.com. You are not on LinkedIn or any other social media where they can find you? Oh, yes. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then you can you can Google me if you need to find my books. Make sure you put Heather Hetheru Miller. There are lots of Heather Millers, so... Make sure you put Heather Hetheru Miller, H-E-T-H-E-R-U, Heather Hetheru Miller. So you can Google me and you can find me any of those uh, on those pathways. You can also reach out uh, by email, Heather at yourinspiredjourney.com. You can call my business line at 
1-800-273-7855. You can reach out by phone. So there's lots of ways to find me. All right, Heather. Now, what would be your final thought considering what we have discussed today? It can be a message. It can be an advice. But we want to hear your final thought. Please go. So I believe that um, what anchors a family is a ready woman. I think the same family anchors the community for a ready community. When we have a ready woman, a ready family, and a ready community, it will change the landscape of what we see now. It'll change the violence. It'll change the, the selfishness. It'll change the way that we see our future and what we have in store for our children because we'll continue to put them first. And so I think that's a really important mindset to have. And I think if we're not uh, following that mindset, then that means that we're not going to our source for intervention. That's the most important piece. Go to your source for intervention. Thank you so much for that. That is very important. And I believe we need to leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate our review Obehead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead a Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.